Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to another Out of Oz special here as we are reacting to and breaking down some of the questions Rhett from Good Mythical Morning has about Christianity, discussing why he deconstructed, specifically him because he's thoughtful, intelligent, a guy we would have hung out with or a guy like us, as we said. I still would hang out with him. Exactly, exactly. And I meant like hang out within church circles because he was on mission. He was in Campus Crusade. He was a champion of the faith, we probably would have called him, and he would have called himself at one point. And now he's deconstructed to millions of people, helping them along their process. So I think it's important for us to break this down and discuss how Christians should think about this, whether we should think about these questions. Um, and where we should land. In the first episode, we broke down most of his scientific objections. We gave a little background as to how who he was and where he came from. And today we're going to continue talking about some of those objections. To me, the first one, we're going to talk about the historical records and some of the documents and discussions of biblical legitimacy. We've done an entire episode on it, and it's one of my favorite things to discuss. And this, to me, is, is a really interesting point in the video where he gets to this. Yeah. I mean, if, if like, honestly, we talked about last episode that so much is guiding us in our pursuit of truth, but if we arrive upon that scripture is invalid, like truly invalid, the entire Christian faith does disintegrate. There isn't anything left. And so he brings up a lot of objections or concerns. Some, some he even admits some more valid or substantive in his mind than others. But I think it's an important question that we need to ask and we need to be able to address with those who are considering a deconstruction of the faith. Right. And I think it's important to always come back to what the Bible actually says and then what we learn from taking things from the Bible and the world and morphing it all together to form our you know worldview yeah. and what we think about creationism, evolution, yeah, I think chromosomes, that's a, I think that's an important like that. statement here right from the jump is just because someone or a group of people have interpreted Scripture a certain way. Even good Christian people. That does not mean that's what Scripture actually says. Yeah. And that's important for us to make note of as we progress through, because some of, I think, Rhett's issues and other Christians' issues is what people have said that Scripture says rather than what Scripture actually says. And that's most of his issue so far is, well, people have said this about Christianity, about and I found out yeah. it's not true. Yeah. So now I don't believe in Christianity. He does get to God eventually. And those will be for the sure. really interesting yeah. ones to yeah, talk sure. about. But so far it has been, these people have let me down or lied to sure. me or are wrong or rejecting science. Um, but okay, let's let's get to this next question that he has. The Old Testament, and that was, the Old Testament is always supported by archaeological evidence. I'd heard that from so many Christians. It's like you know, sometimes they 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 see something in the Bible and they're like, well, there's no evidence for that, and then they dig a little bit deeper and they're like, oh, we found the evidence, or they find the, basically the idea that the Bible is always vindicated because the Bible is completely true and everything that it touches upon. But when I really looked into it. I started realizing that that's not true. That's not really the case. Um, just a just a few things. I'm touching on some quick things. Why is there no Egyptian historical re- record of the Israelites' captivity? That's question number one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so look, this is true with all ancient literature. I mean, you go back. There's other stuff. Homer's works, for example, or Herodotus that are BC. I mean, we're talking more than 2000 years ago and we're taking their, their records of history for what they are and believing them based upon those records and the, the other sources that would kind of corroborate their, what their, their statement is. Um, But yet there's things that like historians have said throughout history, even much more recent than that in the last 400, 500, 600 years, that we don't have archaeological historical proof for outside of the documents written to substantiate them. And that everyone just accepts that that's fine because time, decay, elements have eroded away what might be there. 
Um, and so the absence, especially when we're talking about something 3,000 years ago, 3,400 years like ago. like archaeological evidence of 30, the Israelites? So, I mean, it would, it would look Egypt. like tablets. Okay. Which, look, just in fairness, once again, depends on who you study because there is, since he actually did this, I think, there is uh, something about the Genesis account of Joseph and the Exodus account. I've watched them. I, I find them pretty compelling on uh, these documentaries that uh, I think it's like Exodus explained or something. Like that. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but that show the evidence, and we talked about this in our Exodus series, of Joseph potentially. The, the the person of Joseph being a ruler there in Egypt and finding his his grave that show evidence of an exodus from Egypt. Um, and so I think they'd be looking for artifacts. You would typically find that. I mean, especially if 2.5 million Jews, uh, Hebrew people were, um, were leaving Goshen and traveling around the Sinai Peninsula for, you know, 40 years, you would find this. However, they've also, I mean, they've also gone back and you, you can look this, anybody watching, look this up. Um, we're talking like, I think it was like the 1980s, 1970s, uh, a Jeep or something. They found it buried in like 60 feet of sand just, just from a 40-year period of the elements across the, the desert um, burying this thing. And so we're, we're talking about a civilization of people that, yes, made encampments and tra traversed across a, a desert piece of land. And 3,400 years ago is what most people would conclude. And to say – because there's not substantial evidence for that, at least that he has found, it can't be true, is once again not historically consistent with how historians would look at, at these type of events. The further back you go in history, the more unreliable or unsubstantiated things become. And so that's not a cop-out to say that. At the same time, we can go all the way back and we can see things that seem to indicate on certain Egyptian tablets or statues or monuments that there was an enslavement of um, – and I think, I think, look, I'm going to this wrong. I think it's Avarice or something like that, which is, which was ancient Goshen, that there does seem to be a city below a city where um, a Semitic group of people lived, um, Asiatic people lived. Um, so there does seem to be some evidence for this, but you're talking about something that happened three and a half millennia ago. That's, you know, so look, if there's something that refutes that, that's how it typically works. That's what I was if there's something that refutes the uh, like right. evidence that refutes the claim, that's different. Like that Egyptians were actually enslaved by another people group. If like we could I, prove that during that time, that would be uh, yeah. interesting to I me. I think that's very compelling that no archaeological evidence, ar ar not, not everything in the Bible is archaeolog archaeologically substantiated. That's right. I don't know who he heard that from. They were they were egregiously in error there. Not everything. That's easy but, to say that that's yeah, not true. That's not true. Like, but nothing archaeologically that's been found flies in the face of or invalidates the claims of scripture, and that is quite compelling to me. That that when they do so, for example, just just once you can, you can you can say this for yourself. But when they uh, and I know we're talking specifically about the Exodus and and captivity in Egypt, but. When you look at like the civilization of the Hittites for centuries, it was it was mm -hmm. it was mocked. We talked about this on our Bible episode. It was mocked. It was ridiculed until I think it was 1906. They found they found dozens and I mean I mean not dozens, hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of these Hittite tablets and ruins that prove, hey, this civilization that Scripture talks about very frequently actually did exist. Oops, like we're, we were wrong for mocking this for all these. We still don't believe it. Yeah, but for we all these wrong. centuries. Just fine. like you, you can't. Like you look at stuff like this, and so I know he's on get to it, and I guess you can go ahead and play it. But yeah, like, we'll but like, the there questions. is the closer it gets in history, the more evidence there is to substantiate the claim. So basically, what I mean by that is, first century is a, li a little bit easier to substantiate with the Roman Empire than when you all go all the way back to the Egyptian Empire of you know, thirty four hundred, thirty five hundred years ago. It's two million people. They kept great records. Why are they not? Why, why is there no record of them? Why is there no? They kept great records. Does that mean like everything is found from that time? What the Egyptians did and what the Israelites did and what I everybody mean, was so, doing 3,400 years ago? Yeah. Uh, so what Rhett's uh, saying is true in that the Egyptians were known for uh, keeping mm -hmm. meticulous record keeping right. in the way that they would have done that. Uh, and they were responsible for how we even... I mean, we're talking over 3,000 years ago, but they were responsible for how we even do some of our record keeping today. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, there is credence to that, but much of that documentation over the course of 3,000 plus years has been lost. It has been lost. And some of it would once again seem to very clearly 
um, quite robustly substantiate an Asiatic group of people being there in a certain region, which would be modern day, what would have been Goshen. And so whether or not he had that evidence in front of him or whether or not, sorry, trying to be polite and respectful, whether or not his bias prevented him from seeing that evidence and believing it, those are different matters. But the evidence, there is evidence around that, which is fascinating considering how ancient that is. It's interesting how that can be like a reason you don't believe the Bible because 3,500-year-old tablets don't tell you that specifically the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. That, just, that to me, I, that that is like yeah. a, that's an interesting thought process to get there, which I think the way Christians think is a very interesting thought process too, and what we believe and how we get there. It's just like the, the way my mind works is like, okay, let's, let's, we, we're taking an archaeological excavation here and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And um, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? And then something's produced and either it doesn't speak to something scripture said mm -hmm. or it validates, but nothing is invalidating it. And that's probably and that the more would be truthful proof statement. to people. Right. That would be proof to people that scripture is not true. That doesn't that doesn't line up for me intellectually. Like that, that's not proof of something that isn't true. Mm -hmm. That's the opposite of that, actually. Why is there no archaeological evidence of the Exodus? Basically, this massive group of people wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They've looked for hundred uh, over a hundred years. They've looked. No evidence. Um, why does the modern archaeological evidence call Joshua's conquest of Canaan into question. Why is there good reason to believe that the Israelites arose not out of conquest or force, but by simply branching off of the Canaanites? So I don't, I, once again, I don't know what all he's talking about but here. But that's just a weird argument. It's like, well, we do believe that they actually did end up in Canaan or Cana. So how do we know it was by conquest? How do we know they didn't just show up there nicely? It's like, from the historical documents and, and, and the Bible. It's like, I, it's in like, his defense, he's saying all this stuff and he says from the outset, even though it's now in 45 minutes long, he says, um, I don't, I'm not going to go into all the nitty gritty right, and who right, I right, read right, and right. all the sources and all that stuff. But it does seem to be, here we are in 2022 and it does seem to, there does seem to be new evidence being produced quite regularly of events like this. And once again, Things that have been found in the Dead Sea, things that have been found in the Sinai Peninsula, um, the conquest of Canaan, the destruction of Jericho, right. the the walls, how they crumbled. Right. You can look all this stuff up. The, the but evidence. those walls could have crumbled, and we still could have just shown up there as Israelites. You and could just have, but they, they seem. But I mean, like they seem to have been destroyed by earthquake, based not on by what? siege. Yeah, by, like based on the evidence, the no, archaeological no, no. evidence uncovered. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying his and, argument, like based on what? Why does that make the Bible untrue? Like your thought that yeah, there could be another explanation of how a people group got somewhere. Yeah. That's what we're going with as one of the four main questions he brings up here without archaeological proof. And again, on our How We Know the Bible's Real episode, we again touched on it, but we didn't necessarily go into all the nitty gritty detail yeah, either. But yeah, how many sure. things, how much archaeological proof is there for specific instances mentioned in the Bible? Yeah. Way more than four. I mean, there are, once again, I read a lot of the scholars that he recommended. Um, and it's, it's interesting, but it's speculative too. Uh, we're talking conquest of Canaan. We're talking 3,200 years ago, roughly. And so, and, and them, them crossing over from Ammon across the Jordan and sacking Jericho. And then kind of the evidence that that could just happened is scant. And the evidence that it did happen is scant as well. I mean, meaning that the con we know the, the Israelites were there. Right, clearly, exactly. He has but, to admit but, that but part. But how they got there, I would say the evidence, once again, here, here's what might be circulatory in his mind or anybody else's mind, but the evidence seems more compelling they got there through conquest because the, the most reliable ancient documents, which would be the Old Testament, like like that's what some, some people forget is that like most of the attacks against scripture have been against, almost all of them have been against the New Testament. Hardly anyone questions the historical validity of the Old Testament. Like hardly anybody, any scholars, skeptics, they don't even question that. They're just like, okay, sure. And they might disagree with like the miraculous happenings of it. And they might say that's legendary or mm -hmm. archetypical or whatever. But as far as like saying um, that this is invalid, there have been broad swaths of religious people, not just Christians across humanity, a lot of historians, scholars who have accepted as valid and accurate much of the Old Testament and substantive. And so to say, because 
the Israelites, maybe there isn't enough evidence, or maybe there's a little bit more loose evidence that the Israelites just kind of came to possess the land or were already living there or spawned off from the Canaanites instead of conquered the land. Once again, you're making an argument from silence and from absence, which is not a good argument. It's just not a, a profound, substantive argument to argue, well, because I don't see something, it's not true. I find it very interesting to think about what history is going to be like 100 years from now and like how, how, why did X happen? Yeah. Who caused Y? And like the different writings and beliefs that people are going to have coming from our generation. And for such it's a like, smart guy that, that, that Rhett is, Rhett and Link both, like for such smart guys to say, we've been searching for over 100 years as if 100 y- years right. is a long time in the grand scheme of archaeological history. Especially old earth beliefs. Like, like what have. about when we stay for 500 years and oh crap, we actually have more information right. now. What about the discovery and what is it? 46 of the Dead Sea Scrolls mm-hmm. and and how, how mind-blowing yeah. that was in, in substantiating the Because up to that point, a lot of uh, critics, maybe like Rhett, were going, well, Isaiah couldn't, the, the, the prophecies of Isaiah were so specific concerning right. they Jesus. They, right. they could not have been from the sixth century. Mm-hmm. They had to have been from the first century um, after his time. And then, and then all of a sudden you find the Dead Sea Scrolls dating back to, I think it's like 150 BC. And but that's the point. Then they just turned to something Isaiah's else. there. Right. Yeah, Isaiah's among them. And it's like, oh, crap. Like, we got this wrong, too. Everything that comes out either doesn't support either side, for or against, or supports the side of Scripture. Nothing invalidates. That, to me, is a much more compelling I argument I than, I mean, than, hey, I, 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 don't know, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I believe this stuff. A I bit mean, of that, an echo chamber here. But yeah, I, that, yeah. that, to me, that just makes so much more sense that it's, can we get some stuff that actually proves that it's wrong yeah. versus if you have archaeolog- oh, maybe there's not archaeological yeah. proof that it's right. If you have evidence archaeologically, scholastically, that something is wrong, hard evidence, that's different than saying we don't have evidence, so I don't believe. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, right. that can there's be valid. 10 seconds more of this clip. And those are just a few things, but there were some pretty major events that all of a sudden, I was like, no, we, this isn't well supported. This isn't, this isn't outside of the Bible, these things, are not well supported. So I actually think that that he says that appropriately, and I appreciate the way that he says that because he said these are not well supported. He does not say they are disproven. Yeah. He does not say there's evidence that proves these are not true. He says they're not well supported. And and for his journey and what he was going from, that was enough to to aid in his unbelief, sure. right? And he and that, I appreciate yeah. the way that he said that, sure. that they're not well supported. Um. All right, let's move on to this next clip. Let's see what he says here. This was like a kind of a breath of fresh air for me, honestly, coming to California with all these doubts. I found these Christians who had these. So let's set up this clip real quick. We mentioned on the first episode that he was living in the Bible Belt, I think North Carolina, right? Yeah. You spent some time there. Yeah, I have. And beautiful place. It was a, you know, group of people. I mean, we're in the Bible Belt still kind of. I think Florida's considered the Bible Belt-ish. But where it's easy to be a Christian, everybody's a Christian, you know, it's not really true, but you know, it's, it's a different culture here than you go to California. Right. And he was saying basically his eyes were open in California and we'll discuss what that means and how relevant that is in today's culture. If you watch this, he says his, his journey of deconstruction began in North Carolina, Mm -hmm. but California, I think gave him a little more of a, even though he, he, he's very, he's very clear that. He didn't deconstruct just to appease or satiate the culture around him, mm-hmm. which I can respect um, that he believes that, even though I think that the culture has a lot more influence on all of us than we realize. Uh, but it really came to completion, this deconstruction process, because he had the space and the peace and the people around him that enabled free thinking and, and the ability to unravel this. Mm-hmm. Christians who had these doubts, Christians who saw the Bible differently, who were like, yeah, man, I don't know exactly what happened. Evolution seems like it probably did happen. And Adam and Eve might not have been real, but like, that's not my day to day with Jesus, man. You know, and so I have a relationship with Jesus. I wrote in my journal, 2011, my faith is still weak, but it is not gone. And possibly God is revealing a foundation that he can build real faith upon. Here are a few things that have hit me recently. From an intellectual standpoint, I may never have certainty about my faith. That pursuit may be fruitless. It's becoming clearer that the significance of my faith or the so-called proof of Christianity is not found in a well-reasoned argument. Rather, it rings true the way a musical note would. It hits my resonant frequency. Okay, so 
I think this is an interesting kind of concept for people who talk about like who you surround yourself with, where you want your kid to go to college, um, you know, all that stuff as a Christian. And it's not because we're afraid that God is too weak or that, you know, people are going to be able to trick our kids or Christians out of, you know, Christianity. But it is true that when you immerse yourself in a culture like he has in California, it can affect somebody struggling with their faith or trying yeah. to figure out whether or not they believe or they're not a true Christian yet or whatever it may be. It do, it can have a big difference on them and it can play a big role in their life. Yeah. I mean, Dev, I mean, I think there's, there's three and there might be more to it than this, but there's three different aspects that he brings out about Christianity here. And I think all three are important. He brings out the communal aspect. He brings out the subjective when he talks about the musical frequency and this note hitting his soul, I think mm -hmm. that's important. That's 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 beautiful. I'm a musician, like that resonates with me, like it made sense. But there's also the objective side of things. Um, and all of those have to be true, meaning that, and, and unfortunately it's not in a lot of modern Christianity, like meaning that we need, uh, Christianity was meant to be a communal faith. Like it was meant to be um, lived together with other Christians while the church is important. And so when you take yourself out of that, that doesn't, that alone doesn't substantiate or validate our faith, like the Christian community. But at the same time, we understand anybody, Christian or non-Christian understands how much the world, friendships, relationships, culture influences us. And when we remove ourselves, I mean, so, so often I've been in pastoral ministry for over 20 years. And so often when a Christian starts to disintegrate or unravel or backslide or whatever word you want to call it. Um, they either have or they do remove themselves from the community around them. Mm -hmm. And um, and that community is God-gifted to us, clearly in the New Testament and in the early church history. To tell you how important it to, is. To, yeah, to like hold us fast, like to keep us kind of, I mean, we look at that even now, like we look at the, not only the community around us here in Clearwater or the community of, in your context, but we look at the Christian community throughout the ages, the creeds and the confessions and things like that. And that helps to hem us in and keep us in the realm of orthodoxy because we acknowledge that, our hearts are deceitful and our bias is strong. But that's only one aspect of it. The subjective aspect is also important. It's not just an intellectual faith, but it is an experiential faith. Like we, there is supposed to be a relationship with God there. And that's going to look different for everybody. I get that. And so I think it's beautiful the way that he says this in his journal, that his faith isn't gone because, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but, but I think he's saying because he still feels it. Right? It still strikes a chord in him. It still gives him hope. It still emotionally makes sense to him. But, and so that's important for us. Uh, I think a lot of people like kind of in our world, the reformed world, don't give enough credence to the subjective side of the Christian life. But then the objective side is also really important. Like, like it's not enough that Jesus makes me feel good or gives me hope. Why, you know, and this, this is why we go back to episode one. And I said, I don't understand why Rhett's even getting like kind of ticked off about people saying he didn't have a real relationship when he himself is saying this, this feeling that he had was not was kind of manufactured. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was, it was the, based on the, false the, beliefs. It's, it's, kind, of, it's mm -hmm. kind of like me saying that, um, Oh, what's a, what's a good saying? I can use like Peter Pan, like that Peter Pan makes me kind of feel a certain way, but he's not real. And so my relationship to Peter Pan isn't like legitimate because he's not real. Like, but it kind of made me feel a certain way. If you're saying that Jesus, or at least the Jesus that you believed in and made you kind of feel this resonation isn't real, then, then we can still say the feelings were real, but they weren't based up on any legitimacy. And so in Christianity, all three of these things are important. Uh, the communal aspect, the objective aspect, the subjective aspect. And, um, and I think for him, he came to the point of going, my feel, it seems, my feelings, maybe this is somebody watching and listening or somebody you're talking to, that they're just going, my feelings are not enough anymore. And none of our feelings are. Like, that's not that's not enough. There has to be some objectivity to it. I agree, but I think there's definitely feelings involved in both And I think he's, he's and unfortunately a sad case study that Christian community is really important. Right. Like, it's really important right. for us. Like, nobody's strong enough to go it on their own. We all have the doubts within, the monster within. We The the sin, the flesh is still there, even in our redeemed state. And especially for somebody like this who, look, not trying to, like, throw shade at him, but he wasn't, according to biblical reform Christianity, he wasn't, like, truly in that. He might have 
been devout, like we said, episode one. And so when you're not really in, like you don't really believe or you have like these sinister doubts, you need the community of faith more than ever. But essentially I live my whole life being sure that the gospels were historically reliable, almost taking it for granted. I mean, I'd read Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict and Josh McDowell's new evidence that demands a verdict. I had read Lee Strobel's Case for Christ. I could spit these arguments back out to you on an airplane and make you think that, whoa, I must, I should be a Christian. Basically what I just saw is that there's so many people coming at this with an intention to uncover the truth, to find the truth, and they're coming to these wildly different conclusions. This isn't like science. You know, somebody does a scientific experiment in 1985 in China, and then somebody does the same scientific experiment in 2019 in California, if, they, if everything is controlled, they're gonna come to the same conclusion. That's not how history works, and it makes it very difficult to come to definitive conclusions about things. But essentially, in the end, by far to me personally, the most compelling and seemingly reasonable view was that the gospels appear to be a mix of religious propaganda as well as actual history. So there's definitely some history in there. I think Jesus was a real person, so does Bart Ehrman. But I don't think that as he is presented there is completely reliable. So to me, there are some strong words that he uses throughout the video. And I think the gospels are religious propaganda it's pretty strong, right? Yeah. He doesn't judge you if you still, you know, if you land somewhere he's not, and you know, he doesn't judge you if you, on your journey or whatever. But, but I mean, the gospels are religious propaganda mixed with history, and he has to say they're mixed with history, right? Yeah, because in fact, there are some there's some historical proof to the accuracy of the New Testament. Yeah, um, I want to I want to circle back because my good friend Danny Van is over here, mm. one of our media directors here, and uh, and just texted us and said. And I think it's a valid thing that somebody listening, maybe maybe somebody watching, somebody listening right now could say, oh, you're just like wanting Christians to kind of stay in their echo chamber and, and that's what keeps them sound. Look, I think it's valid. The whole world is an echo chamber of whatever group you're running in. That group is an echo chamber. So if you divorce yourself from the church and say, well, because I don't believe, you'll quickly and easily be able to find people who say yes and amen to that and like, yeah, you shouldn't believe that. That's not true. What we're saying is I'm not in any way, anybody who knows me knows this, I'm not in any way saying stay in the church so you can continue to be spoon-fed and given baby formula, you know, so that you'll continue to believe this. I'm saying that people who are wrestling and Christians should wrestling with our faith, um, there can be like some really intelligent and thoughtful and biblical and God honoring conversation that takes place while still you like expand your understanding and maybe come up on a, a reality or a truth that your church hasn't believed or that certain Christians in your circles have not believed. I think like I look at Rhett and I think it would have been really beneficial for him to stay in North Carolina. Among the people that toward the end of the episode, he says, I have no ill toward them. There wasn't anybody who like had an affair or like anything crazy. Like that's not why I deconstructed, but it would have been really good for him to stay there and, and have these convert, conversations have that we're these having. conversations with them. But that's what I'm saying. That yeah. that's I think what it is is yeah. you're not in good Christian community unless you are talking about this stuff and having yeah. these conversations. Acting like it doesn't exist is not helpful. Yeah, we're not just promoting an echo chamber no. of like everybody being like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, of course. Like it's you and we I want had ten conversations. conversations about this before yeah. doing this. Yeah. Like we talked for a long time the night we first watched it and afterwards about this and how yeah. it is really interesting and the sad parts about it and the interesting parts about it and what we can learn from it and what people could potentially benefit from being in the conversation yeah. as well. And part of it and part of this, I think what's cool about YouTube is you can literally ask questions on the video. And so if you have questions as we're watching through this, or if you're watching the entirety of this, which I encourage you to do, it's an hour and 45 minutes, so we're only pulling clips. Yeah. Yeah. And you have questions saying, well, actually, you guys didn't play this clip where I think he makes a good you know, point, put the timestamp in a comment, ask the question, and maybe we can follow up after the third episode and, and answer the questions that we didn't get to that you guys may have had, because that's the point of Christian community is to have these conversations, Absolutely. not to always be spat at from the pulpit, right? And Which the, you and do. the best that we can to arrive upon the truth. Like right. that's, that's. But you can learn. I yes. mean, there, there, Sunday being fed is a big part of being a Christian in your community, but yeah. it's not everything. It's so not I didn't want to address that. I think it's a really valid question. I and I don't want people to think we're trying to like attack that, that uh, you shouldn't have conversations with unsaved people or whatever. I just think you're um, clearly a community of faith and hope 
uh, and substantive belief is is important. Now, what do to, you think about the the accusation though that it's religious propaganda, the New Testament, and yeah, the person so I, of Jesus gonna, may have existed, but not at all? It has to be not yeah. at all in the way he's presented in the Bible. That has to be a totally false, misleading, horrible, like trying to trick people way of explaining Jesus if he was not how he's described in the Bible. Yeah. So, uh, read Bart Ehrman's book, which he recommends. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Testament scholar. I think he's dean of something at. It's at Chapel Hill in North Carolina. Smart guy. Clearly smart guy. Lots of smart people on all sides of these debates. Okay. So to say that one side is more intelligent than the other is not, it's not fair. Um, smart guy. I thought his book was terrible. I thought, I thought it was, I mean, I'm just really smart guy. Great guy. Seems like a great guy. <laughs> hey, book was terrible. Smart people, right? Really bad. I mean, I just thought it sounded like, and what's really interesting too, is if you kind of, if you go online and you read reviews about the book, even non-Christians who don't believe in Jesus are saying the same thing. Now, I get it that Christians will say the same like negative things about another Christian writing too. So, but it sounds like an angry rant. It sounds like someone who's ticked off at Christians what is or the, the, point the, of the historical book? G- the, So the whole point is revealing the contradictions and inconsistency. I think that's the subtitle concerning the person of Jesus, the historical person of Jesus. And it sounds like Red is basing a lot of his beliefs. I mean, he even mentions Bart Ehrman right there. I also read, um, there's a book called, um, I think it's called Historical Jesus, Five Views. That was very interesting because it takes five different of these viewpoints concerning Jesus from really conservative to really liberal, denying that he even existed. I think Red's saying he would land on kind of the second most liberal. He's saying he does exist, but a lot of it is this manufactured propaganda. Um, I, I like so for me, like once again, looking at this and try, trying to to really objectively discern as best I can. And I get it, I have my own bias. I'm going the 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 view that makes the most historical sense. Sorry, I'm not trying to be snarky. Is the historical view. I Meaning the the one that most people have believed throughout the centuries uh, that Jesus Christ was killed under Pontius Pilate, that there was, there seems to be very substantive evidence that he lived again after that, the eyewitness accounts and the New Testament writers and the, the people that continue to carry on this message that should have been stamped down, the people who are willing to give their lives for it. We've gone through some of these, some of these arguments and things that, of course, Lee Shrubble and Josh McDowell and, and other apologists And that it just out. never goes away. It never goes away. Um, I think there's a lot of validation for that. And I would just say anybody who's watching, like, uh, honestly, I'd recommend the book. It's it's called, not by Bart Ehrman. That was terrible. Um, you can read it if you want to. That's that's completely fine. The Historical Jesus, Five Views. And it's by five different scholars who present these views. I know we're all going to read it through our grid and through our feelings and through our bias. I get all that. But I really honestly think that the fifth of those views, which is the historic biblical Christian understanding of who Jesus was, it it historically, logically, factually seems to make the most sense by far. And so I think to say that it's just propaganda is a, I don't know, they would say I'm narrow-minded. I think it's a very narrow-minded, dismissive view of the the whole historical bandwidth that is Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't that doesn't add up. All right. The next clip talks about an appetite for certainty which is an interesting yeah. conversation and thought, again, in trying to figure out where Rhett's coming from and where he ends up going, that's an interesting yeah. context in all of these conversations. What if I am wrong? Can I just live like that for a little bit? I'm pretty good at kind of giving myself over to things, right? I can watch a movie and get lost in it. I can read a book, I can get lost in it. I can read a book from a different perspective and I can adopt that perspective for a little bit to see what it feels like. And I decided that I was gonna do that. It's like, let's just consider what it would mean if you were wrong. What would that mean about the Bible? And when I was honest with myself, the Bible began to make a lot more sense to me personally as a product of humans rather than God. It seemed less and less like God's message to people and more like people's best guesses about God. And in that, it became a lot like any other holy text. Yeah, so... Once again, I get where he's coming from that he's saying. Oh, to sorry, him. that was the that was the Bible is any other holy yeah. book. Sorry. Uh, I get where he's coming from that like he's saying that made the most sense to him. The the issue, no matter who, whether it's Rhett or Link or somebody listening to them or somebody watching and listening to this, um, I know that we have to like use our minds to to arrive upon what logically makes the most sense and believe that. The problem is, is that if this is so what, what we do is we look at 
you do this with every book. You look at the internal record. What does the book say about itself? Like that's that's number one. Because if a book doesn't claim to be inspired, doesn't claim to be from God, then then you don't even try to like make that argument. But if you, if you take something like the New Testament, Old Testament, the Bible itself, claiming to be from God, the law of the Lord, the the breath of God Himself. Okay, they're claiming this now. What is the what, where are the arguments against that? And we've done a whole episode. People can watch back if they want to. We don't have time to do it right now. But when the arguments to substantiate that internal declaration are so robust that intel, most of the intellectuals we really respect. I mean, this is true. Like historically, you look back even to the Renaissance and, of course, in the Reformation, like so many of the intellectuals, I'm not talking theologian pastors, the intellectuals, the scientists that we respect were Bible-believing Christians because this made the most intellectual sense to them that this was valid because they could not disprove it. They couldn't. Most of most of the most ardent antagonists against scripture, honestly, throughout history, like you look them up, it was a very emotional, I don't like this God. I don't like the fact that hell exists, which Rhett, uh, you know, espouses later on. Um, very, very like emotionally driven argument because look, I get where people are going to say, I get what Danny's about to text me probably, but the, if you're really applying logic to this and thinking critically, um, scripture is well supported, well documented. The transmission method, the document method, over 6,000 of these ancient, or 5,600, I think, of these ancient manuscripts supporting just the New Testament written within a very short period of time, a couple of centuries, few centuries of the original documents, um, which stands up to this test of uh, antiquated literature, um, which I don't have time to go into all of this, but the idea here is that it's a brazen claim to say, well, it just made more sense to me that this is from human authorship. He said than, a product of man. Product to of me, man. My first thought with a product of man is, why does man usually do something? Because usually it benefits himself. Yeah. Usually there's going to be some some gold at the end of the rainbow. What what good came from the men that wrote I mean, the Bible in the people, way that they wrote People it? love to point to, like Christopher Hitchens loved to always point to the Crusades, which conveniently, inconveniently for him, I would say, happened a thousand years after the time of Christ. Mm -hmm. I think 1095, the Crusades began. Um, when you look back at the early third, first three centuries of the church, they were, the church was poor. The persecuted, church persecuted the church was at, mocked, but loving and serving the right. world in such a profound convictional way that Christianity just continued to spread like wildfire. Right. There was no greed. There was no, that was not until the time of Constantine that, that all kind of came along three and a half centuries in. So there was there wasn't any of that that you see now that people associate with Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so when scripture was written, of course, before Christ and then all the New Testament there in the the first few decades after Christ left earth. Um, the product of that was not control and power and greed. It was love and service and care and the way that even people like Jordan Peterson today would argue makes the most historical sense for how we should live our lives valuation wise, like how, how, how life should be lived is in accordance with the New Testament principles that dictate, it dictates to us. And it is always interesting because he does say religious propaganda mixed with a historical document and the person of Jesus existed. And there's a lot of historical proof that the person of Jesus is the person from Isaiah. So they just made all that line up and got lucky. And then, so they called him God or what, like the religious propaganda mixed with that is weird because he has to admit that there is, that it is a, a historical document as well. Well, he, he does. And, and look, that's not far-fetched in the, in the realm of people will take some, people even do it today. They'll mm -hmm. be like a movie based on a true story, <laughs> you know, and sure. that's like 80% of that movie sure. is not true at all. It didn't really happen. And so I, I get that that's what he's saying. That's not typically how it worked in, right. in ancient history, um, especially when people said this is real literature. People and, still get mad about it now. And then there are the movie stuff. synoptic gospels that, mm -hmm. that, you know, and that's a whole different episode about the, the supposed contradictions. And we've talked about that a little bit in the past on, on out of mm -hmm. Oz, but um, I like, it's just, I don't know. This one kind of felt like a little bit of a cheap shot to me. And it kind of felt like he's saying, don't dismiss me, but it felt very dismissive. Of, right. It just, you know, it just feels like religious propaganda. Agreed. And then you're like, you're just like, you can say that about any part that you don't like about the New Testament or the gospel accounts. Like this is just, this is just religious propaganda, which is exactly what Jefferson famously did when he like cut out parts of the Bible that he just didn't like. 
or didn't agree with or miraculous or whatever. People still do today. Yeah, they do all the time. Specifically certainty about things I don't think you can be certain about. I think Christianity, my struggle with Christianity, for me a big part of it was I had to keep aligning my thoughts and being certain and, and kind of rederiving my faith and why this was reasonable and being sure about this and knowing exactly what was gonna happen when I die and all this stuff. But when I was like, I don't think I can be certain about these things. It's like when a person, I've heard this happens, I haven't done it yet. When you stop eating meat, you lose your appetite for meat, a lot of people say. I stopped being certain about things, I lost my appetite to be certain. I didn't wake up with a sense of panic. I thought there would be panic, I thought there would be chaos. So this is interesting and to me, having kids has helped me with this. Cause like when your kids ask you stuff like, well, is this is this gonna happen in heaven? Is this what heaven's gonna be like? Or you find out there's lots of stuff you're not certain about yeah. and it's okay. Like I, I don't really have this appetite for certainty like he described. Is that your experience in the reform world that everybody has to have an appetite for certainty and be certain about all this stuff? I think there's a, I think this human sure. within, within humanity, there's an appetite for a certain degree of certainty. And then typically, unless we're complete narcissists, we can admit we can't be certain about some things. Well, it's right? kind of funny because didn't he just use that as the example of why he can't believe like the, how Israelites got to Cana or whatever. Yeah. It's because you can't be certain or there's not enough proof yeah. that it happened to be certain about it. And therefore, if you can't be certain about it, it must be wrong. Yeah, I mean, all of us struggle with consistency on like our state of beliefs. Yeah. I think he struggled with it in this episode. I think we're gonna probably, people will be able to put sure. the part we're saying here. Sure. Um, and, and so we're trying to make sense of all of this. And by all that, I mean, spirituality, Christianity, religion. Um, but yeah, to me to say, clearly there's an appetite and... I would say he still, that he, once again, you progress all the way to the end, he still has an appetite for that certainty. Mm -hmm. He's going, you know, uh, he's still pursuing that. He's still trying to figure that out. And I think that's just part of how God wired us. Um, or even even people who deny God would say this is part of how we're wired evolutionary, um, is, that, is that there is a desire to know what's out there, to know truth, to know what's best. Where he's at right now definitely doesn't have all the answers. That's no. clear from the end of the episode. Like he is not in a place where he feels like, okay, now I understand, I've got it. This is where I'm at. I mean, at the end of the day, like I'm not being mean by saying it. He has zero basis for hope now. But I mean, me, me. He would that, just like, say hope and happiness and helping people. Yeah, and being that's nice what he says though. And, yeah, but it's, I mean, as far as anything that's, uh, we just, we just did a funeral here at Building 28. We have great substantive hope. Mm-hmm based on the evidence that God has given us and the conviction that he's placed within us that we will can, we will rise as Jesus rose. And I'm just saying there's nothing, and, and I'm not saying that hope, hope is certainly he not would, enough. I think he would call that, respectfully, I think he would call that religious propaganda. I, I agree. And that's how people I was going to say, hope in, is not enough right. to, for us to form our beliefs but it around. it is a byproduct of our beliefs. Yeah. It yes, really is. It, it absolutely is. Or the lack of it. I mean, all your thinking atheists would say, or agnostics would say we have no basis for hope after this life at all. Really, even in this life, just have fun and mm -hmm. have a good time. And this life is beautiful, type thing. So uh, that's uh, I th I think I think uh, we all have even even Rhett still has we all have like a desire for some level of certainty. And I something. think it kind of goes into what the next clip is talking about morality. So this will be the last clip for this episode. Um, but I think this is an interesting one because this kind of showed how he was emotionally thinking about things, how he was looking for proof and didn't find certainty and lost his appetite for certainty, but also didn't find anything disproving it. And he came down on, he thinks it's a historical document mixed with religious propaganda to me as a really interesting theme of, of our part two of, of Rhett's deconstruction. Yeah. I had many Christians who I respected said, man, if God wasn't real, I would be out doing drugs right now. Or I'd be out sleeping with whoever I want. And I'm like, true. I've heard that too. That's that's a true statement. But but I'm not, I mean, like Abraham Piper just said something about that recently. He's like, yeah. you're such a terrible person that look, everyone's wired different. Right. Like everyone has a different sense of, and so some people do need a code of crime. That's why we have laws even in the land Correct. of America to keep people from doing their people their were just generally good. Actions. We wouldn't need any laws. And so there are some people who are wired to be more moral, or yeah. But we would argue from depravity that it's because they have an innate sense to like be good and mm -hmm. like to do what they think is good. But there are people even within Christianity, and I would struggle with this to a certain extent of like the only reason that morality makes sense to me 
The only reason you would live that way, really, is if there is a moral lawgiver who has established, hey, this is the way that you should live. Definitely certain aspects. Yeah. I don't actually think you would. I don't, I, I think you actually have an innate desire to be a pretty good person. And listen, listen, I know that I, I've read all the Ravi Zacharias books and I've seen him speak. <laughs> I know that uh, the whole idea is, well, where's the morality come from if it's not coming from a moral lawgiver, God himself? Uh, I think that that argument is marginally compelling, but I don't think it's, it, I don't think that it's conclusive and I, and I, I think the point is, is I don't think you wake up and make decisions to be a good person because you've got this moral lawgiver. There may be a moral lawgiver. I'm not saying that God doesn't exist, but I, but I think that it's a much more natural and organic process than there's a book, I read it, and now I know what to do. I think that's why those core qualities of what makes a human good exist in cultures everywhere. You find a culture in the middle of the Amazon that's never been exposed to the gospel or any sort of religious system outside of what they believe, are they gonna think that murdering is great? Probably not. Some of them do. I was gonna say. Uh, I was gonna I, like, say there are definitely some. Uh, and if it's not murdering, there's a lot of things that you like stealing and doing yeah, what's best for your family I over another family or whatever. Yeah, he definitely touches on that like, because at first he's like, it's natural. Mm -hmm. I completely disagree with that. Then he touches on this cultural. I do agree with that. Mm -hmm. I think culture is the big dictator from the Amazon to Africa to Russia to here of how you're supposed to live and what's good and what's not. And and we typically line up with that culturally. Like we're not gonna go out and kill somebody not only because it's illegal, but because our culture says no, even though we might want to. And if we live in another time and place, we might do that. Like we, humanity's very fickle based on the culture around us. Um, you know, as far as innate goodness, that's that's a that's a that's a stretch even for I mean I was just listening to a podcast this week by once again another anti-theist who was saying there's no such thing as innate goodness we're all really jacked up really morally corrupt people really self-centered people interesting coming from once again an atheist and so most of your real solid thinkers today and I know he's more of an op optimist it would seem from Good Mythical Morning um, but most of your really critical thinkers today are going no humanity's really messed up like humanity like we're we're self-centered people we do have a desire for goodness that's there that comes from the darkness or from the brokenness um, but what that looks like is going to be very different for all of us for Rhett for Link for me or you if there is no moral law I think the the argument of and and you, you're welcome to think whatever you want, but the argument that there's an absolute law necessitating a, a lawgiver, I think is beyond marginally compelling. I think that is pretty darn conclusive. And I think a lot of people have stated that, including even Christopher Hitchens started going that route of, he never admitted there was a God, but that's a very intriguing, compelling, very compelling argument of if we know that morality is, beyond us. It's not just what you get to decide what's good for you or right. And I don't, like, like you can look at me and say, with conviction, whether you're a Christian or not, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't rape a child or you shouldn't be a racist or whatever it is. You know, like there, there's certain things where it's like, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? Right. I think you can know something's wrong and be a good and moral person and not necessarily know why you think it's wrong. Yes. Or just because, you know, I can tell But if you start asking the it. question, where does it come from? Right. I think it is, man, I think Sam Harris is, explanation or Christopher Hitchens is so far-fetched, even though I think those guys are brilliant, in that it's just ev from evolution kind of hardwired on the DNA randomly of humanity. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, what makes sense is that there is a lawgiver who has said, this is what's good. This is what's right. That he has hardwired that upon us in our conscience. And that is why from the Amazon to Egypt, to Russia, to the United States, people have an awareness of certain things are wrong. And I think it's telling, right? So he's talking for an hour and 45 minutes. So so pulling certain things that he says or phrases or words, some people could say is unfair, but I think it's funny that we have all of these questions and objections and how old earth proves this or that the Bible must be wrong or evolution with the fused chromosomes or whatever it may be. But when he gets to this, right, in this discussion, oh, I've heard Ravi Zacharias, I've heard all this stuff and explained, you know, the moral law giver, I only find that marginally compelling. That was yeah. his argument against this point. 
I only find that marginally compelling. And from my experience, basically, there are some good and nice people out there. That was his full argument against this belief in the moral lawgiver. I mean, that's interesting. That says a lot to me after we've heard him for an hour and 20 minutes bring like these books that I read and this proof I have against it and why I feel the way that I feel yet marginally compelling is the best he can think, come I think against that. To, to, and I get that maybe I'm arguing the same absence that he tries to argue with archaeological evidence. So I'm, I'm going to be fair there. But I think you saying, I don't believe because the evidence itself, which seems to point in a direction, even if it's just marginally so, isn't compelling enough. But to not give any evidence or reason as to how we get morality. You're starting how, to build your argument now based on on your bias and what you yeah, want it to be. Based on and heart. we do the same yeah. thing. I understand that. Like once we, this is showing me that he has built up the foundation to be agnostic. But, what would but you I say think he is what, now? We're, what we're trying to do is this just has clearly a smart guy. He's clearly right. an intellectual. He's clearly exactly. a reader. He's a knowledgeable guy. And so what, what can happen for humanity, Christian or not, is we can look at somebody like, like Rhett, who's a really nice guy, really smart guy, and go, his arguments are really profound and solid, and maybe they're not. Like may, may, maybe, I think maybe you would agree with a lot of what. Maybe we're there's a lot more evidence right. for Christianity. I would, I would say there is than against Christianity. He would he would argue that we are willing to let certain things go that he's not willing to let go, and that's why we believe it, and we're still good and okay and moral for what we believe. And I, I, honestly, I love him for that, says. but like he's willing to let all of it go now. I would say that he, he has can't similar, know it all. He has similar leaps of faith in what he believes now, and he's rejecting certain so, things that he even yeah. agrees are marginally compelling so that he has a, no argument against. That's what against. I want to talk about in episode three is yes. the leaps of faith. How do we arrive? Is there any factual way for anyone inside of faith, outside of faith to completely live their life? Yes. And let us know in the comments if you have any questions that we're missing from his video. Cool. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Oz is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.